So this is why it's kind of humbling to give a talk on how to do regenerative agriculture because I've got one of my feet at the university where um, that foot can like be like all thoughtful and like high in the sky and really deep in the philosophy and how great this stuff is. But my other foot is actually on a farm where like I'm trying to meet a bottom line, an economic bottom line, and it's really hard to make those two feet come together um, sometimes. And so I'm going to talk to you today from the perspective of what it's like to try to become a practitioner of this type of agriculture and how we're working to get there. And so I'm not talking from a place of like, I've got this all figured out. At Skyrim Farm, we're going to single-handedly save the whole planet. We're going to sequester so much carbon in our soil. This is Beth Wheat. She gave a talk on regenerative agriculture at the Patagonia store in Ballard, Seattle, and she was amazing. The first time I ever heard about Beth was when two of my roommates came home with a delicious box of vegetables that were from Beth's farm. This CSA box, which stands for Community Supported Agriculture, is essentially a weekly delivery of assorted seasonal fruits and veggies that come from a local farm. It's a great way to connect directly with the farmers, cut out the middleman, and also get delicious food every week. Anyways, my roommate's box was stuffed crazy full with all these beautiful and bountiful veggies and fruits, like radishes, tomatoes, squash, and a giant head of lettuce. And they're trying to figure out exactly what to meal prep with all these ingredients on hand. Having grown up in Thailand, where CSA boxes don't exist, I was flat out amazed not only at the concept, but also by the fact that the woman who co-manages this entire farm is also a UW professor. I quickly learned that Beth is somewhat of a legend, you could say, to students within the environmental studies major. Anytime I'd bring up her name or mention that I was working on a podcast with her, other students would immediately gush about how they love her teaching style, her down-to-earth major, and just her as a whole. My name is Jana Mylan, and I'm the communications intern for UW Sustainability. Today on our podcast, we're going to delve deeper into Beth Wheat's work and life and take a closer look at regenerative farming practices. Thank you so much. Uh, my name is Beth, and I'm uh, really excited to be here on this podcast. And some interesting things about my life are that I have this wonderful opportunity to be a faculty member in the Environmental Studies Department and to ground my work uh, as I explore sustainability and environmental studies to ground my work um, on the operations in the daily practice of a integrated small farm on South Whidbey Island. And my farm is about 20 acres and we integrate animals into our vegetable production. So we have goats, chickens, ducks, and worms. And we uh, use all of the animals to help facilitate the growth of uh, about three acres of vegetables. For those of you not familiar with the term regenerative farming, it's probably best to start off with the general definition. Regenerative agriculture's goal is to do exactly that, to regenerate ecosystem function on an agricultural landscape. And there are several tools for doing that. But one of the primary tools uh, in regenerative agriculture is the management of organic matter in the soil. So doing all that we can to prioritize growing 
the bio biological life of our dirt. So much of what farming is today is actually about destroying the biological life of our dirt. So that our farm is focused on the life of our soil, that's our, that's our starting place. Now, if you were in the Ballard Patagonia store with Beth during her talk, she'd make sure that you were on the same page as everyone else. Throughout her presentation, I noticed that Beth would make connections in her head and then communicate them out loud so that everyone could understand the more scientific, nitty-gritty details of her talk. Perhaps this was her professor side emerging. So now I'm just wondering, I've been using the word organic matter, and I just want to make sure that everyone is making this important connection between organic matter and carbon, yeah? So when I'm saying organic matter, another thing you could be thinking is carbon. And um, so those, I'm kind of thinking about those two things pretty interchangeably. Awesome. Beth often lectures with a natural and feverish excitement that can't help but make you incredibly mutually excited and interested in dirt, soil, and things that you may have never had any interest in before. I once sat in a nutritional science lecture that Beth was guest lecturing for and immediately understood why so many students flocked to her classes. On that day, she was running a high fever and had traveled all the way from South Whidbey Island, where a skyroot farm is, but was possibly still the most passionate and pumped up professor I had ever sat in a lecture with. So this is a picture of our farm. Um, this is taken from a UW student who came to visit last spring, and he had a, um, a thing that made a lot of noise. <laughs> so it up in the air, and it took these pictures of our farm, and it terrified the goats. I mean, we have never seen our goats move as quickly as it did because this thing flew over, because it kind of sounds like a gaggle of bees that was kind of going down and the goats were really concerned about it. So our farm is about 20 acres and this is sort of looking at the front edge of our farm and then the farm goes all the way towards the back where um, it looks green um, you know, sort of like a this sort of shape of a postage stamp. I mean, I could just sit and stare at that picture all day. <laughs> One of the main uh, things we started right away when we came to the farm uh, to pr begin practicing one of the uh, tenets of uh, rest restorative agriculture is uh, we've been working on restoring the riparian area along a small creek that runs through the whole, basically, diagonal side of our, the whole, the long diagonal of the farm. There's a small creek that runs, and it runs all year round, so it's always got water. Um, and it was entirely blackberry when we first moved to the farm. And every year we invite our whole CSA out and like literally like 40 people will show up on the farm and like they'll work with us for like six hours and we transform the site. So we pull out all the blackberry and we plant, tree we plant native trees that we get from the conservation district. At first we planted them haphazardly and then we realized that there was value. If we planted them in rows, we would be able to find them the following year. <laughs> so now we plant our trees in rows, and we think that it's still be becoming useful as a habitat. And slowly, we've be begun to see uh, closing of a uh, small sort of shrub canopy over the top of that screen, um, and it's been really pretty to see that transformation take place. This goes on for a while. Aside from the blackberry bushes, Beth's farm is also incorporating animals, experimenting with kelp, 
and changing up crop rotation. Even those of you without any past experience in farming, you'd still know that running a farm is a lot of work. I was curious about this myself. Speaking a little bit about how you balance farming and teaching, is it is there a balance or it, do you have to prioritize one or the other? Just any any hints or suggestions for other people who are looking to do the same? <laughs> well, it's interesting. Um, no. <laughs> There's not really a balance. I think this time of year especially is a very difficult time. Um, the The warm weather brings a great increase in the length of the daily to-do list on a vegetable farm. And, you know, my teaching duties, just like in every quarter, I think a student's life is kind of like a crescendo. In the beginning of the first part of the 10-week uh, quarter system, it's not too overwhelming, but by midterms, things start to get kind of hectic. And by the end of the 10 weeks, students are just flat out, right? Everyone starts to get sick and uh, the quarter starts to really overwhelm us like a tidal wave of activity. So that's happening right now, being that it's the sixth week of the quarter for me in relation to my teaching duties. But that is also happening right now because it's spring on a vegetable farm. So yeah, it's it's a uh, it's a bit hectic, and I wouldn't say balance is something that um, I achieve in spring on the farm. It's also not really my goal to achieve balance. I feel like there's a lovely poem by Edna Saint Vincent Millay, and it goes something like this: My candle burns brightly at both ends; it will not last the night. But ah, my foes, and oh, my friends, it casts a lovely light. And I think, you know, balance isn't really what I'm aiming for. What I'm, what I'm aiming for is uh, structural revolution in our food system, and there's not time for balance. <laughs> that's not quite right. I don't know. That's, that's not what I mean. But I, what I, I really mean is like, I, I feel like if my goal is to slow down and achieve balance, that might help me in um in a personal way, but I just feel like there's so little time and there's so much to do that there's a sense of urgency that really drives me forward. And so I'm hoping that, and in some way this is like more of a spiritual thing, but I, I kind of feel like I'm driven to do these things and that the energy to do those things is going to come from somewhere. And, you know, maybe some people would call that God and other, other people m might call that like the draining of my own uh, personal energy, but I keep feeling like it keeps getting recharged. And part of the reason that I feel like the energy that I have for doing the things that I'm doing keeps getting recharged is because I'm doing the right things. And it, you know, so it's giving me a lot of joy along the way. Beth seems to have an interesting perspective on everything we talk about. And I just have to wonder, how did she grow up? How did she become so interested in farming, sustainability, and teaching? And where did this love for food come from? So downtown, in our town, there was a uh, four corners. There was a bank, a pharmacy. There was a gas station, two, two gas stations. There was a bar. Um, there was a liquor store. Uh, 
uh, there was a grocery store, and that's pretty much the town. Oh, a post office. And, um, and so that town was a robust center of activity because behind all those stores, there was a railroad track, and the railroad track was connected to the Agway. And the Agway had uh, equipment there where all of the farmers would bring uh, the grains and the produce of their farms, and they would then get loaded from the Agway directly onto the train. And the train would go 30 miles uh, to the big city of Utica, New York. <laughs> and um, that's how my town worked when my father was growing up in that town. If you go back and visit my town now, the liquor store has closed. The bar has closed. The pharmacy is shut down. The bank is still open. Uh, the gas, one of the two gas stations has closed. There's one gas station. And the hardware store is for sale. No one who lives, pretty much, no one who lives in my town actually makes a living or works in my town. And the reason that the town doesn't have a center of economic activity is because all of the farms in the community around that town have disappeared. And that's the story of rural America and small farms in a lot of places in our nation. I grew up, like I said, in a rural agricultural community that was experiencing pretty hard times. And the message that I got very strongly in that community was, if you can think of anything else to do, you should do that thing. If you can find anything else to do with your life other than be a farmer, then you should obviously do that. And so I did. I, w I went to New York City and I became an urban park ranger. That was my first job. And you know what I started doing? I lived in Manhattan. I lived in Greenwich Village on West 4th Street in this little tiny church. And on the roof of my building, I started growing plants. And then I quit my park ranger job and I got a job being an environmental educator in the city. And you know what I was doing? I was building gardens for people in the city. And then I was like, okay, well, I don't want to live in the city. So I moved to Costa Rica and I started to be a science teacher. I was a science teacher at a Quaker school in Monteverde. Fabulous job. And I spent a lot of that time reading and learning about growing food. And I came home and I moved to Eugene and I had a job as a teacher. And you know what I did? I started, I, I started working with a two acre school farm there and eventually started this incredible garden club and I was growing food and we grew the hugest watermelon we got in the newspaper. It was epic. And then I was like, okay, I don't wanna be a science teacher anymore. I, I wanna get a degree in science. So I came to UW to earn a PhD in biology. And you know what I did? I started growing food at UW. And so it seems like the two things are kind of linked together, but you know, no matter where I've gone or what I've done, I've always been sort of drawn to growing food. And it's almost like I keep changing and moving and I always just end up planting seeds and I, it's almost as if I can't get away from it. And not, I know it, I haven't, it took me until I was about 30 to realize that that was a pattern in my life. <laughs> As you started to get into farming, I don't know the exact years or like when you started to do so in in Washington or in Oregon, did you ever face any criticism like as a woman in the farming community or was it pretty smooth? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. I mean, part of why we've ended up farming on Whidbey Island is because it's such a 
wonderful place to raise a family and to be a queer family and know that my daughter's going to go to school and there's not going to be any issues for her as a, as a young person, um, is, is pretty terrific. And I would say the welcome that we've got from the, the Whidbey Island community is, is maybe not typical of, uh, rural America that, you know, certainly feels like raising a child as a queer family on South Whidbey Island is like totally fine. And so I go in to pick up Annie at school and their, her teacher will, um, address me by the name that we use in our family, which is Mapa. Um, because I feel like I'm not Annie's mom, I'm Annie's Mapa and that's what I am. And I feel really, uh, thankful to be in a community that takes the time to, to learn that and to, to ask about our family relationship and how that works. I would say for the most part, uh, the reception has been overwhelmingly positive. There's one, there's one sort of negative story that I can remember, which was when we went to buy a, a tractor when we were looking for tractors. So we were kind of in this, this phase of looking around and talking to people. And we went to one tractor dealership and uh, me and my business partner, who was also a woman, uh, walked in the door and there was there were three guys standing around and they really didn't want to talk to us about anything other than lawn tractors, even though they sold tractors for agricultural uh, producers. They really were pretty much sure that we wanted to buy a lawn tractor and they weren't actually able to hear us as we talked about our operation and, and described what we were looking for. And it was so discouraging that we walked out of that tractor store and we almost like ended our tractor shopping day. But because we were passing by this other dealership, my business partner convinced me to stop. And so we went in, but I was feeling so down about it that I was like, I'm just going to grab a couple of brochures and we're going to go home because I can't handle talking to another, uh, another fellow who's not going to give me the time of day. And instead, uh, the dealership came right up to us and uh, started asking us about our farm operation and the things that we might need out of a tractor. Um, and this, this uh, person sat down and talked with us for like 45 minutes and actually we ended up buying a tractor from them. So, uh, you know, there are little stories like that, but for the most part, I would say, uh, the reception, uh, for us as a, uh, female farm has been really, um, really welcoming. And I, you know, our farm isn't only a female farm, but it does, it is an interesting thing that like this past fall when we hired for interns, we had like, I don't know, 20 or more applications and maybe two of them were from young men. So there's a definite uh, growing interest among young women uh, to be farming on the type of farm that we're operating, which is an exciting thing. And in, in, in within King County, you can actually see that there are many, uh, there are many female farmers and that the one place in agriculture that's a growth part of agriculture uh, is in the small organic uh, farming community. Many thanks, Beth. It's been a pleasure having you on the show. So if you're interested in enrolling in one of Beth's classes, she teaches a range of different ones within the program of the environment, including one called the Urban Farm. This immersive class allows you to get your hands dirty while studying food production techniques on the UW farm. You can also check out her farm's annual offerings of CSA boxes at skyrootfarm.com or on their Facebook page. Thank you all. Hope you all have a great day.